Welcome, everyone, to another Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Judy Arman, along with co-host and wizard behind the curtain, producer extraordinaire Thomas The Rock Watts. Also, uh, William Redfish Barger is now with us, our third amigo, as always, uh, during our hour-long chat, talking Alabama football after another impressive win, 65 to 31. The Crimson Tide go on the road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and eviscerate the Hogs. Of course, due to a missed extra point, and what would we be with the Alabama football without something in the kicking game breaking down? But Alabama misses an extra point, so he, uh, they did not cover. So there's probably a lot of people that may have put a small wager on the game that were disappointed in that. But that's and and of course, the, there's a lot of conversation today about the defense. But we're going to hash all that out, and we're going to bring William Redfish Barger from. 89 to 93, a huge member of the Crimson Tide, a 1992 national champion, and one of the best insiders when it comes to following the program into the conversation. And, of course, we'll hear from Thomas Watts this hour as well. William, good evening. Uh, hope your Sunday and your weekend has gone well. How are you? I'm doing great, Drew. How are you? Doing well. And this Alabama football team, uh, you know, they continue to just uh, to uh, set records and just do an outstanding job of, uh, you know, uh, playing offensive football. Uh, once again, really unchallenged. They start the game up 21 to nothing. They got a couple of fortunate bounces, uh, especially uh, on the second uh, touchdown where you had Henry Ruggs the third really hustling along the play uh, to recover a fumble and take it about 12 yards into the end zone. But, you know, I, I, I took that as being, uh, you know, extremely well coached and these offensive guys really uh, all locked in because I thought once again, uh, they, they started fast, which is what they needed to do on the road. And I was kind of going back in my mind to the Lane Kiffin era. If I remember correctly, William, that first play that Alabama scored on yesterday, uh, that was a, they ran the exact same play to Amari Cooper to score on the first play of the game from 80-plus yards against Tennessee and Knoxville, if I remember correctly. Yes, you did. <clears throat> um, you know, it, it was you know to Amari Cooper versus the tight end, Irv Smith, but, you know, same play design. And I think that's something that's, you know, kind of worth talking about is, um, you know, going through the, you know, the the first part of the season and looking at how um, Mike Loxley is drawing these plays up. Um, you know, I, I go back to um, the end of April, first part of May, when, when Tosh DePoy, you know, made the statement in a private setting that, you know, if Nick Saban would leave Mike Loxley alone, um, and, and allow him to do what he wanted to do with this offensive talent, that they would score 60 on everybody that they played. And I think that's, you know, certainly played out throughout the first six games. Um, you know, it's, um, you, know, you know, as a former offensive lineman, it, 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 there's one thing. You know, it, 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 there's an adjustment period to, you know, getting over the fact that we're not a downhill running team anymore with a game manager at quarterback, which, you know, all that's out the window. But, if you look at what Mike Loxley has done through the first six games, you know, I'll give the detractors this. Yeah, they haven't really played a real quality defense yet um, other than Texas A&M, but, you know, they they did what they wanted to do and imposed their will versus Texas A&M. And I will say that I think, um, you know, come December – I'm, I'm fully on board with the fact that I think Texas A&M is probably going to end up being, you know, the second best team in the SEC West, um, you know, even under a first-year head coach named Jimbo Fisher. But, no, it, it's amazing to watch. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of taken the, you know, the, I don't even have anxiety or nervousness anymore um, as regards to these games. It gets kind of boring. Uh, to me, to a certain extent, when you watch that offense. But at the same time, you know, that, that's what I've been clamoring for for, you know, the better part of a decade. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I get what people are saying about the defense. Um, but, you know, it, it's very challenging for, you know, any defensive coordinator to expect, um, you know, their troops to go out there when they're up, you know, 45 to 49 to nothing um, at halftime and expect those guys to keep up a level of intensity um, throughout the second half of a ball game. I mean, when you're when you're up that much, I mean, it's, it's human nature that people are going to, 
you know, let down and, you know, the intensity's not going to say, you know, stay to the same level. And I think you've seen that, you know, in several ball games so far this season. But, um, you know, I think we can all agree that, you know, maybe the, you know, the problem on the defense throughout the first six games of the season has been within the, the inside linebacker group. And, you know, if you go back and look at how that group performed, uh, you know, during the month of December and January last year, um, you know, is it a, you know, Jeremy Pruitt coach group versus a Pete Golding group? You know, I'm not ready to point fingers just yet, but, um, you know, the, those two guys look totally different last year versus what they look now. And, uh, again, I, I'm just picking out some things to maybe – you know, critique and, and talk about because, you know, I, I go back to, you know, the Tosh LePoy statement in April or May of last year about, you know, if Nick Saban lets Mike Loxley coach this group the way that he wants to and they can dial up 60 points on anybody that they're going to play, that looks to be the, 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 the truthism in my mind for this 2018 Alabama football team. Well, and I think, too, uh, the thing that's also changed uh, is the roles for uh, Dylan Moses and, and Mac Wilson. Of course, Dylan started seeing more playing time at the end of last year, but he even admitted, I asked him in the preseason about his first uh, road start at Texas A&M about being overwhelmed mentally, and he just wasn't ready for it. And that's when we saw Keith Holcomb. Uh, then, and then also, uh, Mac Wilson has but mostly been a third down and in, 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 in coverage linebacker. Now he's a three-down guy. And we saw Reggie Ragland go through it, Reuben Foster. Uh, and that's why I think uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Mac will change his mindset. I know he wants to go to the NFL and be a star, but if you're going to fully develop at Alabama, he's the guy that needs to change his mindset about leaving now and, and, and be a four-year player. Look at all the, the linebackers that did stay four years, including C.J. Mosley, Reuben Foster, and what it did to them and their draft prospects. You know, Rolando McClain did leave early. Uh, but probably, uh, you know, and, and that was a different era of football. It's been the game has completely changed, even from uh, 11, 12 years ago. It's what that's what's so uh, amazing about offensive football and the, and the and the way it's going. But and also they are missing Keith Holcomb. He wouldn't have ever been a superstar, but he would have been an experienced guy that could have helped him at the middle linebacker spot. But you brought up an excellent point, William, and this is why I'm glad that Alabama's jumping on these teams and rolling them. Because you get to see every week as kids get more and more confident, all these young cats are getting the chance to play. As you pointed out uh, this morning, Ale Keho got some time at, inside linebacker this game. Hopefully we'll start seeing Jalen Moody uh, some more. I know you've made that point as well. Uh, and then and then also, you know, even uh, uh, Markel Benton. Hopefully he'll start playing better. But you're going to see so many young players playing and getting – and I think uh, you might have growing pains like we saw this past Saturday. But by November, hopefully these guys will be more confident. And the way Alabama's scoring, William, they're going to need defensive depth because they're going to play a lot of snaps uh, due to Alabama being so explosive. And the more guys you're confident in, the better – and I think, uh, you know, you may have some bumps in the road defensively like we had yesterday, but I think in the long run it's going to be better. And you're right, uh, certainly Pete Golding has to step up. That, that, that position group has to play better. But I think also uh, that, uh, that you have to understand, too, uh, that uh, when you have so many new coaches, including Carl Scott back there, and for the first time I thought the secondary played poorly. They played well up until yesterday. But we just saw kind of a perfect storm, and uh, Alabama did not play to the standards they wanted to. And it will give Nick Saban a chance to get a lot of people's attention in practice this week. And I know Missouri's uh, better offensively than Arkansas, and they're certainly potent. But I expect Alabama to play better next week. And uh, I think these guys have a lot of pride. They know what the standard is. And I, I think this was a wake-up call for some folks. Well, you know, I kind of expect that, you know, the, the same kind of game, you know, next Saturday versus Missouri. I mean, I, I'm not a guy that's, you know, bought into, you know, the Drew Luck hype. I mean, I think, uh, you know, he does a good job of, of beating up on, uh, you know, teams that he plays, you know, defensively that are, you know, kind of crippled. Um, I certainly don't think, I, you know, I kind of liken him to Jarrett Stidham at Auburn from the standpoint that, you know, both of them beat up on teams that they don't have the, 
you know, the athletes and the personnel to slow them down a little bit. Now, right. it surprised me, um, you know, this Saturday, if Missouri puts up 30 points, no, it wouldn't. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, you have to look at where where Alabama's deficiencies are um, on the defensive side of the football through six games, and it's obvious that's at the inside linebacker position. I mean, um, you know, 30 and 32 are, 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 you know, taking bad fits. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're going into the wrong gaps um, on run plays. They're, they're getting lost on pass plays. And, you know, that's a coaching issue. That's not a talent issue. I mean, both of those guys were, you know, so-called five-star prospects. And, uh, you know, to me, that that's a coaching and communication issue. Um, I really don't have a problem. Uh, Drew, with, with the play of the defensive backs versus Arkansas, I think that's kind of more of a, a communication issue. Um, you know, there was a lot of rub routes. Um, you know, on one play, uh, Trevon Diggs looks like an all-SEC performer, and then, you know, he vanishes and disappears um, for a couple series on ends. You know, you've you got, you know, a guy like Deontay Thompson, um, that gets lost in the wash, you know, goes five yards the wrong way, comes back, you know, bats that ball down mm-hmm. um, on that on that uh, wheel route to the running back out of the backfield. You know, to me, it's not a, a back-end defensive problem. It's not a front seven problem. It, it, it's the inside linebackers, to me, that have kind of underperformed in all six of Alabama's uh, first games, and you know, I think that's something that needs to be addressed and corrected. Yeah, I agree. I think, especially you know, they because they are going to face Drew Locke this weekend. He he has put up a lot of numbers, but like you said, um, most of them coming against uh, the uh, you know the lower echelon teams in the SEC. But certainly they're going to be potent. They put 29 points on the Georgia Bulldogs, which should get the attention of the Alabama coaching staff. Uh, certainly, uh, they need to, uh, these inside backers, they need to get better by November, and uh, hopefully the coaching staff is going to step up and continue to coach them hard and, and get them prepared. Uh, certainly, I agree. I've been harping on, especially Mac Wilson. I, I do think Dylan Moses has had, has had bright moments, and he still had some yesterday, but Mac has taken wrong angles, not taken good run fits, uh, you know, just not, it's been outside of a lot of plays. Uh, and so, and you know, and, and and just basically looked lost a lot of the year. So, and of course, the, he is the signal caller. So they put a lot on him. His role has changed. So hopefully, they'll get him playing with more confidence uh, down the stretch. We, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, and then the defensive line. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about Raquan Davis, but I th- I still think he's had moments. He certainly hasn't had the year he had a year ago, but everybody's uh, kind of a uh, game plan for him. Quinn and Williams has continued to play well. Bugs had the moments against Texas A&M, but going to be interesting to see how Alabama plays against Missouri. And one other thing, too, I know he's been gone now. I think this is his third year, but uh, Coach Craig Kuliakowski should know Missouri's personnel and coaches really well, so that will help in the self-scout. I think, you know, uh, they certainly have a new offensive coordinator uh, in Derek Dooley, but Nick Saban knows him well also. So I think Alabama's going to come back with a vengeance. I expect them to dispatch Missouri. Uh, and I think the, off- the offensively Alabama's just going to continue to get better. And uh, I thought the offensive line really took some steps forward yesterday, William. I know there's been a lot of talk about the running game. I thought they ran the football as good as they've run it all year. Uh, against Arkansas, and that Arkansas defense had come in playing uh, pretty well. So I thought overall we saw Damian Harris have his best game, and I think you've made this point too. But you you see now if if because the game was you know competitive into the second quarter because Arkansas nearly scored to make it 21 to 14. When the money is on the table, most of the carries are going to go to Damian Harris, as they should. I mean he's the he's the bell cow. He's the most talented running back. Uh, you know, the most complete running back that's willing to, um, you know, pass pro at an elite level. I mean, I, you know, I don't think Najee Harris or Brian Robinson are willing to do that yet. Um, you know, I think certainly it, it, it's obvious that Josh Jacobs is, is the most complete running back um, after Damian. You know, he does everything at an elite level. Um, you know, pass blocks, you know, catches the ball out of the backfield, 
you know, shows forward lean and toughness when he's running the football. So, you know, in my mind, Josh Jacobs is, is, is RB2. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I get the fact that, you know, Nick Saban wants to, uh, you know, maybe take bull of us out of the equation and go for it on fourth and one. But if you want to do that, you do not want to hand the football off to the running back to run up behind your center. Amen. Who cannot, who cannot get movement at the point of attack, who can't flip his hips and has no power. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of this stuff, you know, in early preseason and, you know, uh, you know, going forward to, you know, game six where, you know, people wanted to compare Ross Pierce Baker to Jonah Williams. And that is not a comparison. Um, you know, Pierce Baker is, you know, uh, a technician. Uh, well, you know, he's a good guy getting a hat on a hat. I mean, right, a, right. Another, he's just not powerful. Yeah, he just does not generate power at the point of attack. And uh, so, you know, if you're going to go fourth and one, just don't run the ball behind him. Um, that's something the coaching staff will have to learn from, and, and I'm sure they will. But I, I don't blame them for doing that with, with the, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, struggles with the kicker. But um, I'm like you, Drew. I mean, it, it's like watching a techno bowl offense. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, again, you know, some of the stuff the offense does, it, it does hurt the defense. You know, scoring as quick as they do, um, you know, without those long extended drives where the defense gets a break, that hurts the defense. Um, so, I mean, I don't want that to change, but at the same time, it does hurt them. And so, you know, I'm not – hitting the panic button on the defense just yet. Um, I expect, you know, Nick Saban and Tosh LaPoy to get that stuff figured out. But it, it is a problem when you've got a video game offense that's scoring as quickly as they do. Yeah, it's, a, it's certainly, uh, you know, it does put you in a little bit of a quandary, but that's why they've still just got to continue to, uh, you know, play the ones, but then mix in these young players. And, boy, I tell you what, William, the more I see of Iyabi and Noma, the more I love uh, the way he plays. And he just brings some intangible things, that I, which is like effort and pursuit that you don't see. Some young players, uh, they, they, you know, they don't go 100 miles per hour, but he does. He pursues. He kind of, I, I saw some of the same qualities, and I think I've mentioned this in past shows, between him and Rashawn Evans, except – I think, you know, Yavi may have even more upside, and Rashawn was certainly a great football player and a first-round draft choice, but he, uh, but I think uh, I, I want to see him continue to get more involved uh, as a pass rusher, and I think you, you would agree with me there, uh, because they need more outside pass rush. They don't have Chris Allen. They don't have, uh, you know, uh, certainly uh, Terrell Lewis, so they're going to need more guys, but and they only had one sack yesterday, but it did turn into a turnover. And the one good thing the defense did was they did force three turnovers, and they all had a huge impact in the game. It was good to see, uh, you know, a guy, uh, you know, like uh, Shaheem Carter take one to the house for the second time this year. Uh, and uh, they get, and as long as this defense can get turnovers, you know the offense is going to cash them in because except for that fourth and one call, uh, Arkansas really didn't stop Alabama at all. Alabama was able to ramp up and down the field, and I completely agree with you. When Coach Saban called timeout and decided to go for it, I was hoping that they would either play action and throw the ball in the flats or uh, do an outside zone play because this football team, the way it's constructed, is not a power running team and is not going to be real successful in that kind of formation. Uh, perfect synopsis, Drew. I mean, I, I totally agree with what you said, and – you know, also, too, um, I think that's what, you know, most Alabama fans have to, you know, kind of regulate themselves to understand is, you know, they are not a power, you know, downhill running team anymore. They're a RPO spread team. And, you know, that's what you get with, 
you know, the, the, the Mike Loxley hire at offensive coordinator and, and you know, Tua Tungavalo at quarterback and those wide receivers, um, that, that's what makes them so explosive. But at the same time, you know, when it comes to fourth and one, um, you, you can't run behind Ross Pierce, basically. He's not a guy that can – flip his hips and make movement on, on the offensive line. He's a hat-on-a-hat guy. And uh, you saw that Saturday versus Arkansas on a couple of times. But, you know, Drew, at the same time, I think Alabama fans have to also look at, you know, the guy that's over there on the other side of the, uh, the sideline um, that's calling the plays and say, you know, hey, man, you know, Chad Morris called a damn pretty good uh, a game. Completely agree. Focused on, it, you know, what was the deficiencies of the Alabama defense, which historically it's always been uh, throwing the ball to the tight end over, you know, 10 to 15 yards over the middle. And then there were some rub routes um, that, that got them out of position. And, you know, they capitalized on that. So, you know, give Chad Morris credit a little bit. Um, he did what he wanted to do, and uh, it just wasn't enough. Yeah, I really thought their offensive staff had a great plan, and uh, they they executed it really well for the most part. And you can see they've gotten better since the rough first start. And once they recruit, uh, they're going to be a pretty good football team and, and be a threat to people, no doubt about that. But Chad Morris is one of the best offensive minds uh, in all of college football. And I wanted to bring – Thomas Watts into the conversation and get his thoughts on what he saw uh, with the way Arkansas attacked Alabama, and then later on we'll get some of his thoughts on Missouri. But Thomas, you talk you talk about what you saw out at the Arkansas uh, Alabama matchup on Saturday in Fayetteville. Well, I saw most of what you guys saw. It was a team that is getting better. The uh, Clint story has stabilized what was a very rough offensive group early in the year, and they had a good plan. You know, one of the storylines that came out of this game was the wailing and gnashing of teeth about the defense, which, you, which you know, both of you have chronicled essentially through the first 20 minutes of the show. But, you know, just to reiterate something I said when we were just chatting before we began recording, the uh, – 2016 group, you know, that group that Deshaun Watson had to pull out every stop known to man to beat, that defense that had Deshaun Watson not done Deshaun Watson things, is certainly within the pantheon of best defenses of all time in college football. That defense gave up an absolute mountain of yards to Arkansas. Now, obviously, different coaching staffs, different circumstances, but, you know, it's not surprising that a group of guys goes out and doesn't have their best game, even at Alabama. The funny part to me is, for all of the not having their best gameness that has upset various portions of the fan base, Alabama won by 34, and that was with Tua Tonga-Vailoa playing, you know, two quarters, essentially. So, I mean, great, all the credit in the world to Arkansas coming out and, executing, you know, scouting and executing the plan that they thought would work. Turns out it did. Alabama does have stuff to work on, but given the number of pieces we have, well, Alabama has to replace and groom into new positions, it wasn't that surprising. Now, if we wake up and have this show next Sunday and it was 54-51 Alabama over Missouri, then you might want to push the panic button. But Quite frankly, I don't think that's going to happen, and because of that, I'm just I'm just going to kind of shrug. You know, I think Alabama's going to keep on rolling. Um, and one thing that hasn't gotten a lot of play is that football players, well, people, but football players in particular, are very routine based. You know, get your routines locked in and just do it for X number of months until the end of the season. Well, an eleven o'clock kick can certainly mess with that, and with that going on, too, I, I sort of, with all those circumstances, I'm not surprised. It happens, and I guess at the end of the day, move on. Alabama's still shown to be consistently the most dominant team 
in college football. And, and like, again, something I said in the little pre-show conversation, would you rather have an Alabama defense that struggled against Arkansas yesterday, or would you have an Ohio State defense that every time the ball gets past 15 to 20 yards on a pass route or some bust happens, it's a huge play for somebody like Ohio State? So, you know, pick your poison, and I, I wouldn't be worried about it at all, Drew. I'll say, you know, I, I do think Alabama, uh, they, I think it gives uh, the coaching staff enough talking points to keep this team focused because you got to understand how young a team this still is. And people, uh, they don't really think about that. I mean, even the guys that are starting on the defense, a lot of them are inexperienced players. I mean, Isaiah Bugs, Raekwon started last year, certainly. But even Quinnen Williams, who may be the best player on the defense, this is his first year to start. Uh, the two inside backers are in their first full seasons. Uh, and you got Christian Miller and Anthony Jennings, who are both very experienced players. But even uh, Miller uh, missed most of last season with an injury, and then the severe one that uh, Anthony Jennings is coming back from. So this has been a work in progress defensively, and it's still going to continue to be. And I think uh, you'll see uh, the you know you, the Alabama continue to improve. I think, uh, and and uh, William made a great point so far. Uh, I guess everybody will forget what Skylar DeLong's name is because he hasn't punted in two weeks. Uh, Alabama's been so potent they haven't even had to punt. Uh, we saw a little bit out of Joe Villavos. He did hit the uh, upright on an extra point, but he made a short field goal, so they got enough out of him. They did have some poor you know, uh, kickoff coverage at the end of the game, which led to that last touchdown for Arkansas. But it's just uh, something else to work on for the University of Alabama. And we ought to talk about, too, the defensive backfield lost some of the depth because Daniel Wright had been indefinitely suspended as announced by Nick Saban. It could be a Club 21 issue, and also Wright ended up having season-ending shoulder surgery anyway, so he will redshirt, hopefully get himself back in the good graces of the coaching staff because Deontay Thompson's level of play has been amazing. He could easily decide to declare for the draft. He's already graduated, and Daniel Wright would be on the short list of those uh, that could replace him. So uh, we'll see kind of where all that goes. Uh, but, William, I will say this. We've talked a lot about the running game, and I thought it looked better. But uh, I'll say with the style of offensive line this is, uh, they don't have a lot of maulers on the team, though Jonah Williams is a very well-rounded player, and Lester Cotton has power. But uh, I, I think the pass protection has been just outstanding so far. No, I agree. <clears throat> Excuse me. I agree with you, Drew. I mean, I think they're doing a great job from that aspect. And, you know, when, when people want to look at where they're going to after that fact is, um, you know, first and ten, you know, obvious running yards. Um, but then you see uh, um, Damian Harris bust loose. Um, I think they're kind of in a, you know, him haul, um, you know, is it really real, you know, type of deal. But um, I think the offensive line is doing a really good job. Um, you know, you see what they're doing. And at the same time, I think, you know, it's time to call out the guy that's really the, the problematic guy on that, that front. And, you know, that's Alex Leatherwood. He has to get better. Um you know, over the course of the next three or four games, or he's going to get beat out. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly Alex needs to, you know, continue to perform better. He's still making that transition inside the guard. He's really more of an offensive tackle, so we'll see. But uh, I think overall as a unit, they're, they're uh, performing uh, very well along that offensive front, no question about that. And I think uh, – uh, they protected Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He kind of tweaked his knee yesterday. There was some, uh, you know, consternation about that. He got it wrapped at one point uh, during the first half, and then in the second half had a brace. But at the end of the game, uh, watching him on the sidelines, they had zoomed in on him uh, during post game as he was walking off the field. The brace was not there. He seemed to be walking pretty well. Uh, I think that was certainly a little bit of a scare, but I think everything's fine. He went into the medical tent. Uh, they did. I don't think Alabama suffered any. Uh, you know, big-time injuries in the game, which is always great. Uh, as the Crimson Tide, uh, you know, was able to play a lot of young guys 
and that they wanted to stay healthy. Now they get Missouri coming to town. Missouri certainly potent offensively, uh, led by Drew Locke and Demario Crockett. Crockett had 150 yards against South Carolina. But, uh, uh, Thomas, uh, to, to let you uh, talk some more about Missouri, Missouri had a lot of trouble stopping a second-string quarterback at South Carolina in Skarnecchia who uh, had not even started a game in his career up to this point. He's already a graduate student, uh, and he riddled them uh, for three touchdown passes. This is a Missouri team that's really struggled on defense. It's probably going to face a long day against Alabama. It, it certainly appears that way. Missouri, I, I'm kind of leaning towards what William was saying, how you know many times Missouri feasts on bad teams, and then when they run up with some bot against a team that has superior talent, they don't perform up to a necessary level. You know, Going back and talking about the Missouri-Georgia game earlier this year, Missouri probably wins that game if they don't make four or five just soul-crushingly bad mistakes. And... You know, now we're looking at they're coming into Bryant-Denny Stadium. It's going to be kind of a special weekend because it is homecoming, so you know the fans are going to be pretty charged up. I will be interested to see if students both come and stay the entire game, given the uh, call it the recent unpleasantness from Nick Saban. But to talk about Missouri, they're coming into a game with an offense that is so far above the curve that they break some statistical models that. You know, I expect Alabama to come out and take care of business. And one of the things that Missouri was able to do against Georgia, going back to that game, was do a good job having some sort of balance. And what I mean by that is they were able to run the ball with token effectiveness when Missouri would get rolling. You remember in that game, Drew Locke didn't have a touchdown pass. Right. so, you know, are they going to be balanced enough to keep up with this offensive attack that Alabama is going to bring to bear? Frankly, Drew, I haven't seen a team outside of maybe Ohio State, if you don't get a gap pressure on Dwayne Haskins, and maybe, maybe Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, if they get those running backs going, that really has a good shot of keeping up with Alabama. And, you know, I realize you've got teams like Oklahoma that can score in bunches, but, you know, Oklahoma would have to score every time they had the ball because that defense can't stop a cold. Yeah. So so I feel like this game, it's the, the players, if you want to say they slept walk through Arkansas, some of them I think did. But this is going to be a chance for Alabama really to get their proverbial mojo back, even though I don't think it ever really left. And Alabama should cruise to another win. And, again, you know, looking past that, can I just take a quick victory lap? Because I have been yowling about how trash LSU is. And (laughs) the first time they play somebody with equal amounts of physicality and talent all over the field, they barf all over themselves. Can Can I just have that victory lap? And just, yeah. you know, once more with feeling, I think Alabama's 30 to at, at least 20 and upwards of 30 points better than that team. And, you know, once you get by that, schedule opens up because, oh, by the way, the other victory lap I'm going to take, Auburn, also trash. So, you know, it's a good spot to be in for this Alabama team. I think it's going to keep on rolling right on through Missouri. Well, you know, certainly uh, Tennessee is a rebuilding team under Jeremy Pruitt, and uh, he needs more talent. And then Alabama would have that bye week before LSU and LSU. Uh, Joe Burrow has helped that program, but he's not a true difference maker. Uh, he finally had a couple of turnovers. Of course, his receivers didn't help him against Florida. Uh, but Felipe Franks is limited. Florida's playing better football, but uh, I still am not a big believer in the Gators as far as I don't think they can beat Georgia. Uh, certainly uh, they might be able to give them a game. LSU might be able to push them, but beating them is another matter. I don't see that happening right now. It still looks to me to be Alabama and Georgia in this league. Georgia, you know, uh, uh, as expected in Sanford Stadium, uh, just uh, really uh, not having much trouble with Vanderbilt at all. So that's the way the league is looking. Auburn is really struggling offensively. Uh, Jarrett Stidham uh, has not done a great job 
uh, at all uh, throwing the football, Thomas. And, uh, and you're right. I think the University of Alabama is going to be a huge favorite. Uh, I think they're 29-point favorites, 29-and-a-half against Missouri coming up this weekend. And after what we saw with the 23-to-9 whitewashing of Mississippi State uh, versus Auburn this weekend, I don't think Alabama is going to be under a three-touchdown favorite against the rest of the teams they play, including LSU and Tiger Stadium. And that's pretty amazing considering, especially if LSU can't get the job done against uh, UGA. Well, and I I know I saw the early line for the Georgia game, and I'm going to frantically look it up, but I do remember the, the headline was UGA heavy favorites over LSU. And that that's going to be the real sounding board. At uh, at uh, at the end of the day, we're talking about how LSU competes against top talent. And you can say Miami's top talent or, or something. I'm not real sure, but it's like now you're going to see what happens when you don't have a distinct talent advantage. You can't out talent the other side. Now, ironically, I think Georgia's been doing that fairly often for throughout this season but you know i'm really interested to see this game this weekend and should lsu suffer another loss you know the the air is really going to go out of this balloon because what we're talking about what the reality will be is let's say lsu loses this next weekend to the georgia bulldogs Mm -hmm. that'll be a two-game losing streak two weeks after you know then lsu is on a bye and then they play alabama and death valley that game will still be crazy, and those those fans will get all turned up. But that offense is not built. If Alabama comes out and does exactly what they've done throughout this season, and in the first quarter it's you know twenty one nothing, seventeen nothing, twenty eight nothing, something like that. You know Alabama's already put this offense in a hole. That game's you know good night. That game's over. And then you're talking about the three-game losing streak, and you still have Texas A&M to play, and I still think Texas A&M is the second-best team in the SEC West. And at that point, you know, the Jimbo Fisher thing will will certainly have taken root if it hasn't already. I think it already has personally. So, you know, I think the blowing is really off the LSU Rose, and I think it could get pretty bad because – Still like a five-loss season is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a four or something around there. You're looking at a four or a five-loss season because LSU still has to play Mississippi State somewhere in there, do they not? I'm not 100%. Yes, you're right. So, so, you know, astoundingly, after being higher than high, LSU is going to be exactly what a lot of people thought they were. A seven and five, they won't get, they won't get to six and six. I think they're going to, they won't be that poor. But a seven and five, and we thought a good season for them would be eight and four. Well, that's what it looks like now, particularly since they lost to the Florida Gators. So, you know, just again to your to go back to your original point, and I apologize that I'm soliloquying a little bit. I think Alabama will be a three touchdown favorite, particularly past LSU, because all three of those games are at home, and you know, Alabama in the friendly confines of Bryant Denny Stadium when. Nick Saban has been almost unbeatable. You know, what what two games do I re- I can remember three games that were even close. Right. And the one of them was a really fluky game. One of them was that crazy 9-6 LSU game. And the the third was Johnny Manziel. Otherwise Alabama's kept these games pretty well in hand when you come to Bryant Denny. So you know, once you get past LSU, everything opens up. I will say, I think because of what LSU always is in terms of the amount of emotion that goes into that game, I think Alabama will sleepwalk a little bit against Mississippi State. That would be where we might see Tua Tonga Bailoa throw a fourth quarter pass. But other than that, you know, 59, 10, 45, I, you know, I think LSU's defense is good enough to hold Alabama to 45, but, you know, 45, 17. Stuff like that is going to be on the docket. And, you know, going back to your talk about the Georgia LSU game, if LSU comes out and is able to move the ball on that Georgia defense, they're going to be be doing it in a very similar way to how the Kentucky Wildcats want to attack you 
and Georgia goes to Lexington in a few weeks. So you'll see kind of a preview of that game next week. There's a lot to be pulled out of this Georgia-LSU game. We could probably do an entire show on it next week, but, you know, this is a Bama show. We don't want to do that, Drew. Well, and see, and, and with the LSU, they're in the middle of a brutal stretch. I mean, they were at Florida. They lost that game 27-19. They're hosting the Dogs of Georgia on Saturday, and then they have homecoming at home against Mississippi State before that bye, and they get Alabama. So, in theory, they could be on a three-game losing streak um, if they if they uh, drop the Georgia game and then don't turn around against Mississippi State. I would still favor LSU in that Mississippi State game because – while they beat Auburn 23 to 9, Thomas, I think we, we know, uh, that, uh, Nick Fitzgerald is not going to rush for 200 yards on LSU. And they're going to have trouble throwing the football. It'll be a low scoring game. I would still favor Ogeron and his group. Now, if somehow LSU, as you talked about, was able to move the ball on Georgia and upset the dogs, or the dogs, yeah, excuse me, and upset the red and black and upset the Bulldogs and only have one loss and beat Mississippi State going into the Alabama game, there will still be a ton of, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, people uh, hyping that game up and it would still be probably the game of the year in the SEC. But they're going to have to beat Georgia uh, to give it any relevance whatsoever. And I certainly still think UGA should be the favorite. I would probably take Georgia somewhere around 27 to 17 right now in Tiger Stadium because I, I just don't know if they're dynamic enough. But, again, I, I guess while I have said Alabama and Georgia, I think, are the two best teams in the league, Missouri did move the ball on Georgia. So we're just going to have to see, uh, you know, it, how, how good this Bulldog team is. I don't think we really know yet how good they are. I was impressed with Arkansas and their coaching staff. I'm going to take back something that I said a couple weeks ago about them being the worst team in the SEC, Thomas. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that's going to be a battle with Vanderbilt, Tennessee, you know, and teams of that ilk. I think they're going to be, you know, the worst teams in this league. I think Arkansas could even scare Ole Miss because we know how atrocious that Ole Miss defense is. I mean, they ran up 70 points on ULM, but they're good at doing that. But when they play somebody worth a shit, then it just doesn't happen. And yeah. so I just don't think – I don't think, you know, Ole Miss is all that good. So I think Arkansas has a chance against them as well. And so I and – I, and, I, and I wanted to get your thoughts on Texas A&M, Kentucky. I watched that game very closely. UK almost pulled that out. But I, it all goes back to what we – now we know for sure. That A&M defensive line is the real deal because they held Kentucky's running game to 30 rushes for 70 yards. And that UK running game had been probably the best in the SEC up to up to last night. Well, so I, I watched that game as well. I was jumping between that Notre Dame Virginia Tech and Auburn Mississippi State. And if there's one good thing about an 11 o'clock kick for Alabama, I, I got to just bounce around and not be worried for the rest of the day. <laughs> but get, talk, to, to your point about Texas A&M Kentucky. I feel like the the Kentucky coaching staff should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. And the reason I think that is, yes, Kentucky legitimately struggled with running the football. But I think Benny Snell had like 13 or 14 carries. Yeah, I really thought down the stretch in the fourth quarter, I was shocked at how much they put the, the, the ball in Terry Wilson's hands and were letting him make decisions, uh, especially when you went into overtime. Yeah. To me, you go back to what what the horse that got you there, and they want it was a third and short, and they didn't give it to Benny Snell. They're trying to let you know they're trying to let Terry Wilson uh, throw the football, and I mean, my goodness, he was channeling his inner Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I mean, he he wouldn't let the football go. He's taking sacks, which is the last thing. I mean, they I don't think they still win the game, Thomas, because obviously their defense was tired and they gave up a touchdown. But you at least have a chance if you kick the field goal. And, right. and that the, the sack that Terry Wilson took took them out of field goal range, and I mean the kick was just short off the crossbar, and they would have at least had a 17 to 14 lead. Now I'll say this: that Kentucky defense is the real deal. They yes. they're good enough to keep them in games, and I think they could keep them in a game against Georgia. But they have to find a way to generate some sort of passing game, and I'm not sure Terry Wilson can do that. I know he he did just enough against the Gators. Uh, but, uh, wow, I, they, they, they had all kind of trouble throwing the football last night. 
Well, it, it certainly wasn't the uh, Wildcats' best game. I just I think the coaching staff should really the way they called that game was really just awful. I I, I but to talk about the Texas A&M to Texas A&M, they did enough to get a win. Yeah, and Travion Williams was really good. Yep, Travion Williams was really good, and frankly. I feel like that game was not as close as the scoreboard showed because of how, you know, I think Kentucky had something like 45 plays in regulation, which yeah, is yeah, and their, and, their, and their second touchdown was kind of a fluky deal. Yeah. I mean, when, 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 uh, and to give their defense credit, they pounced on it, but that fumble, if A&M doesn't fumble the football, I don't think Kentucky scores again. Right. Right. And, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, impressive for Texas A&M to be able to dictate a game, the flow of a game like that. And I think Kentucky is still, you know, they're still going to be a problem. Again, if LSU runs the ball on Georgia, Kentucky will be able to run the ball on Georgia. And, you know, I don't know how they're, how the schedule is set up, but I know the world's largest outdoor cocktail parties around that time. So... It's the last weekend in October during Alabama's bye week okay. is when that game is. And that's intriguing kind of, I guess, because of the way the Gators are playing defensively and they've been able to kind of rush the passer. But I'm, I don't know, Thomas, I'm just still not a believer in Felipe Franks. I mean, I know he did some good things yesterday, but he still looks slow and inaccurate to me. And, <laughs> and, the, and I thought the Gators ran the ball, the ball. I guess that was the thing I was surprised. I was surprised at how well they ran the ball on LSU. I think that was a credit to that team continuing to come together. but And I think Georgia should win that game. But what we haven't seen with Georgia, and we're kind of seeing it with LSU, and I think we kind of saw it with Kentucky last night, is the cumulative effect of playing like consistent conference games in the SEC. Right. And – you know, this really it sets up well for Alabama to dodge that because the only truly scary, and I put scary in air quotes, two game series that they have on the schedule is LSU into Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Kentucky, they had a physical contest in the muck against Mississippi State. Then they had another contest against South Carolina. South Carolina is not that scary, but. You know, Kentucky plays physical, that's bruising, and then, frankly, A&M came out and did to Kentucky what Kentucky did to Mississippi State, Kentucky loses. Georgia's going into LSU, and they've got the cocktail party soon enough, and they've got Kentucky, and Auburn's still looming, even though, you know, Auburn on offense is a trash can fire. Oh, that's just awful. I just, I, I'm, I, I, I sorry to, to uh, no, 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 go ahead. I, I was just going to say Auburn. Right now, they are a dumpster fire on offense. I mean, they've Jared Stidham is nowhere close to a first-round pick. I still contend this, that Gus Malzahn is a schemer and a play call. He does not develop talent. I mean, you saw Calvin Ashley, how bad he looked at right tackle. Oh, if my Calvin Lord. Ashley never sees Montez Sweat again, it will be too soon. Yeah, I mean, Montez Sweat made some money off of him. And Sweat's a good player, but my goodness, what a turnstile. And then, they, you know, and I thought Booby Whitlow showed a lot of courage by playing. He wasn't 100%. That call was really close. I couldn't really tell, you know, where, you know, whether he fumbled it or not. That was hard. That, that was, the, you know, I was, the, it, it, you know, it, it, when I first saw the play live, I thought it was a touchdown. But when you looked back at it, it was really tough. I thought, you know, that Nick Fitzgerald scored at the end of the half, so I didn't make a big deal out of that. But to me, if you're making a big deal out of those calls, it's because Auburn's not playing well on offense. And they just their offensive line's not any good. I still think it's going to be a four or five loss season for Auburn. Their defense will give them a puncher's chance against any team. But what we saw yesterday, Thomas, is they were on the field way too long and they just could not hold up against uh, even the, even against the run against Mississippi State due to the fact that their offense was not helping them at all. Well, it, the, it, it's kind of like the defenses in some cases where you'd get concerned about early Nick Saban stuff. If the offense really struggled, and I'll never I'll never forget the Mark Ingram Wildcat game against South Carolina where he went for oh yeah. 
246, but he was that the almost thing. really that jump started his Heisman campaign, really. Right, but if you remember that game, that was really all the Alabama offense had. Oh yeah, McElroy was awful. He couldn't complete a forward pass. So, it, you know, you look at that sort of thing, and I feel like that's what Auburn has become. And it, even when Gus Malzahn does scheme up a good play. I mean, Jarrett Stidham had a guy who was, you know, the closest Mississippi State defender was in Columbus, yeah. Mississippi, and he just Darius overthrew Slate. him. Oh, it was awful. You, you cannot miss that throw. I mean, I mean that, that was a perfectly designed and called play. If you're struggling like Auburn is, you have to hit that. I mean, it's, it's just. It's Calvin Ridley, Jalen Hurts National Championship game miss level. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And. You know, Auburn's not doing anything to help themselves. And, you know, no defense is going to stand up to that. And what it'll be interesting to see, fast-forwarding to the Iron Bowl, I know we're just kind of bouncing around because, I, I, I hate to say it, Alabama's going to trash Missouri uh, next Saturday. And they, even for all the wailing and gnashing of teeth, Alabama absolutely trashed Arkansas this past Saturday. But fast-forward to the Iron Bowl, is that defense going to quit when Alabama starts bombing away? Because... That secondary, you know, the reason that Auburn lost to LSU is because that secondary gets burned and gets grabby. Well, if you can't grab Jerry Judy on an RPO crosser, which is what Jerry Judy's been killing people with, that's a touchdown more often than not. And does that defense fold like a cheap tent when Alabama goes pop, pop, touchdown, touchdown? Because that's almost certainly going to happen with that Auburn secondary. It's a bad situation down on the Plains. It is. It's, it does not look good at all, and uh, they're struggling. And even then, and now what they can't count on, and I thought Thomas was interesting, is Anders Carlson on the year. Everybody's made a big deal out of Alabama's problems at kicker, and, I mean, they're well documented, but he's only 7-14. of 14. So he hasn't been nearly as good as his brother, uh, who's I didn't looking for work in, in, in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he, he missed a couple of kicks yesterday. Uh, so he's a, I still think he's going to be a good kicker, but it has not been the smooth transition that Auburn fans thought it would be. Uh, but I, but I agree. And as we're wrapping up this BAMS radio, and we want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us earlier and giving his thoughts. Uh, but I do think Alabama is going to soundly whip Missouri. I don't see this as much of a matchup. Uh, you know, Missouri overall, uh, it, they, 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 they're not very good on defense and they haven't been under Barry Odom so far. Watt does present some challenges. He and, and they do have balance with Crockett. Uh, I, I still think we're looking at maybe a, a 56-21 type game. I, I think Alabama will cover in the game. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, overall, I think when you look at it, the Crimson Tide is going to be too powerful. I think we'll see Tua Tungvaloa into the second half like we did. We saw him in, the, in you know, about half the third quarter against Arkansas. I think it'll be closer to the end of the third quarter if Missouri can, uh, you know, score some points early. Uh, but if not, then we might see Tua out, uh, you know, in the early to mid part of the third quarter. I will say this. We haven't talked about it, and we need to as we're wrapping it up. I really like the wrinkles that they that they use bringing Jalen in with Tua, uh, using him on kind of a sweep, and then bringing and putting Tua at wide receiver and then, uh, running Jalen Hurts, and he had an explosive run. And Nick Saban even admitted they had more in the game plan for the Arkansas game but didn't need to use it. So they're going to put that on film and give, uh, you know, opposing defensive coordinators even more to think about. And now that Jalen Hurts is staying with this team the rest of the year, the possibilities are endless. They could really do some damage with those kind of packages. Absolutely. And that – it becomes a question of time and being able to manage time at a decent level. That is a wrinkle that you have to prepare for, or obviously Arkansas was not prepared. There's an explosive run. Right. And, you know, how much more does Alabama add to that playbook? Because you've got the two guys. Why not use them? I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we I didn't get I didn't say much last week, but it was pretty cool for the reaction when he, when Jalen Hurts came out against Louisiana, and to me this this is kind of a follow on point, wherein you have that situation, you have that reality, and now the coaching staff is using the him in interesting ways that 
obviously were somewhat effective. So I'm not going to say the sky's the limit with Jalen Hurts. I think the sky's the limit with this offense, period. But the more you put on tape that teams have to prepare for and the more you kind of have in your back pocket, the better off you're going to be as an offensive football team. Because, you know, one of the things about Missouri, just I don't mean to circle, I want to circle back real quick. I think it's completely fair to take the attitude that Alabama's offense is going to be just out of this world good until someone figures out how to stop them. Right. And I don't see Missouri being able to do that, but you know they, they'll have a puncher's chance for a little while, maybe. I doubt it, but that's why they play the games. With all of that going on, you know, you have this offense that's been completely unstoppable with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Now you have more to prepare for, and it just doesn't bode well. You know, <laughs> I think this is going to be another big win, and we'll see. You know, I, I, I know one of the things I'm very interested in going a few weeks forward, and then we can, you know, we can get on out of here. How does Dave Aranda choose to defend Alabama? Yeah, because yeah, that's going to be yeah. It's almost like pick your poison because. I just don't, and and Arkansas had been playing well on defense. I mean, think about this, Thomas. We know how poorly Auburn's been playing offensively, but they held Auburn to 225 yards, and Alabama got 639, and they called off the dogs in the latter part of the third quarter. I mean, they could have scored 80 on Arkansas. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, and they just need to continue to keep playing. And, and 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 putting teams in a hole, and then letting these these defensive guys uh, get a chance to play and gain confidence. And I, I honestly think they're going to play better on defense against Missouri. There's a lot of pride uh, with these guys and a lot, and a lot of young talent, and they want to play well. And they're going to hear about Drew Locke and the draft and all this stuff all week, and how many points they scored against Georgia and how poorly they played this past weekend. And I just kind of feel sorry for Missouri because I think they're going to get the hell beat out of them. Well, I think there's something to that. And in that same vein, and I apologize, I'm circling back again. Something I wanted to say when we were chatting sure, about LSU. Sure, go ahead. I, there, there's a part of me that wants LSU to beat Georgia. Right. Because the thing that I'm interested in as an Alabama fan and someone that just loves to watch high-level football, mm-hmm. I want Alabama to be in a game that gives me an idea of what that team's ceiling is. Yes. I want to, you know, I want to see exactly, and not just not just challenged where it's like, oh, you know, in the first half, Alabama's only up ten or some such. Like I want going into the game there to be some folks that kind of put the question to Alabama, and it, it in terms of get them into a stance where the starting twenty-two, or call it the starting forty-four, because of all the rotations that we know happen along the offensive group and particularly along the defensive line, where those guys are like, Y'all question us, all right, game on. That would be my hope for LSU, because if LSU doesn't do it, it's not going to happen until the SEC championship game. But you know, that's just kind of my hope as a fan. That's all I wanted to say about that, Drew. And We'll see. Maybe LSU comes out and surprises us. The, the friendly confines of Death Valley are certainly the friendly confines of Death Valley. And it's definitely going to be a heck of a game a lot of people are going to be paying attention to. But the Alabama Crimson Tide will take on the Missouri Tigers coming up this weekend. And uh, they it's going to be a, you know, a very interesting contest. And we're looking forward to that, no doubt about it, as the University of Alabama – uh, is is going to have a, I believe, a six o'clock kickoff uh, against Missouri on the ESPN family of networks. So Alabama and Missouri will be uh, taken to the gridiron, and I'm glad it's going to be a night game. It'll hopefully be a, as Thomas said, it, it is homecoming, uh, but uh, uh, it's going to be a live atmosphere against a a quality opponent, and I think. Uh, you know, uh, Alabama, it, they've got some, you know, some issues uh, to work out defensively uh, and and on in, in the kicking game. But offensively, they just need to keep rolling. And I think uh, they will coming up this weekend. Just keep Tua Tungvaluwa healthy. He is, without a doubt, I mean, 75% completion percentage. It's amazing. He's already passed the 17 touchdown passes Dylan Hurts had last year. I think Hurts threw for just under 2,000 yards for the entirety of the season including postseason last year, and now uh, with a big game on Saturday, Tua uh, Tungvaluwa 
uh, is, has a chance uh, to pass his uh, numbers completely in just seven games, and that's without playing in the fourth quarter, which is all the, the more amazing. And he's without a doubt right now, I think, the front runner for the Heisman Trophy and why Alabama is the number one team in America. But we appreciate everybody for joining us tonight on BAMS Radio. We appreciate William Redfish Barger for being with us the first part of the show and giving us his thoughts. And we got some extended uh, takes from Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, who uh, had some outstanding takes tonight. I'm your host, Judy Armand. I hope you enjoy uh, the week, everyone. We'll be coming to you live next Sunday after Alabama takes on Missouri. Uh, it's 6 p.m. on the ESPN family of networks, and uh, we will be talking about hopefully another big win for the Tide and looking ahead to the third Saturday in October when they're looking to set a record and a new standard with a 12th straight win over the Tennessee Volunteers, who are, of course, rebuilding under former Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt. But we thank you for joining us. Everybody have a great rest of your evening. Good night and roll tide.